electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Monday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer and David Faber live from separate locations on this Monday morning as we kick off another busy week of earnings and a jobs number on Friday. Dow futures down about 200, reflecting uh, in some part Warren Buffett's comments over the weekend about uh, not seeing anything attractive in stocks. And the president's comments on China last night. Oil is slightly red, despite some indications that gasoline demand actually ticked up this weekend, Jim, as uh, some states continue to uh, get that reopening process going. Look, it does feel that there is a a very uh, self-confident, even if based on some situations, not that, um, uh, let's say, positive, uh, senses by governors that it's time. And I think that the president is so oriented toward its time and the president is so adamant in his in his uh, cold shot that we'll have a vaccine by year end. I want to hear what Davis say about that, that there is an element of uh, two different worlds here. There's the real world, which is influenced heavily by the president saying, listen, let's open it up and people want to do it. And then there's the stock world, which is heavily influenced by Warren Buffett, who says, look, I sold the airlines because that industry's fundamentally changed. It, it, it is uh, there, the gulf between the financial world and the actual world, the biggest I've ever seen. Really kind of amazing. David? Uh, Jim, I'll step in there. Sorry, Carl. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've been talking about that for weeks. Uh, the, the many phone calls that, that, that you or I will have with business leaders who are focused on maintaining their liquidity, who are focused on just being around to fight another day come the end of the year. The many CEOs who join us on air who constantly talk about their businesses not coming back to the levels they were prior to uh, the virus for maybe two or even three right. years. Now, they may be under-promising with the hopes of over-delivering, certainly. But even if you discount that, There has been uh, this disconnect, as you point out, Jim, for some time between what the economic landscape appears to potentially look like, although so much is uncertain, and what we've been seeing in terms of what the stock market's expecting. Yeah, that's why I loved uh, the interplay with Becky uh, and Warren Buffett this weekend uh, and his discussion, very candid discussion about the airlines. If the airlines are fundamentally changed, what that really says is, in, in Buffett's eyes, what that really says is there are a lot of industries that are fundamentally changed. I keep coming back to that moment. What was Gary Kelly said to us? Well, if there's nothing to go to, uh, why should the airlines do well? Had he said, look, I have to stick by the airlines because there's going to be a recovery and they're the ones that are most oriented, I, would, I might have influenced my thinking, but I felt like he verified a lot of what David and I are hearing, which is that, guys, please, if you think that we're just going to come back, you've got it really wrong. And I, maybe they're doing some, um, they're, they're doing some under-promising, but then you, you layer it on with the president, who is so, I believe, over-promising. And I'm not fake news. I'm just listening to every single CEO, with the exception of Moderna, that really believes in the drug industry that we can get, do uh, dr- uh, vaccines at scale. So uh, I, I feel like that, uh, that Buffett's overview on airlines 
really does make me very concerned about the near term. Yeah. Uh, And as a backdrop, of course, Buffett has a long history in having his thinking evolve when it comes to the airline business. Uh, U.S. Air back in the 90s left a rather sour taste in his mouth about that. He came around to them uh, in the last five or 10 years, and he talked about what he called a mistake over the weekend. Take a listen. The airline business, and I I may be wrong and I hope I'm wrong, but uh, I think it changed in a very major way and it's obviously changed in the fact that there four companies are each going to borrow you know perhaps an average of at least 10 or 12 billion each well you have to pay that back out of earnings over some period of time i mean you're 10 or 12 billion dollars worse off if that happens and of course in some cases they're having to sell stock or sell the right to buy a stock at these prices uh, and that takes away from the the upside down, and, and I don't know whether two or three years from now that that as many people will fly as many passenger miles as as uh, they did last year. They may and they may not. It's, it's, uh, but the future is much less clear to me about uh, how the business will turn out through absolutely no fault of the airlines themselves. So I thought that was devastating. I mean, you remember Southwest Air was able to sell uh, 70, 000, 70 million shares, I'm sorry, at 28.50. And United Airlines uh, sold 39.35 at 26.50. So, I mean, those are, are critical levels. And the fact that he went on to say there's just no reason to own them, so what's the point of just selling some of them, made me say uh, I think that they very much are a microcosm of, of a big chunk of the uh, U.S. economy, not the world economy in some cases, he said, and I, I came away thinking the, two, the longer term story of comeback is very much in play. And that's not a lot of analyst thinking. I mean, even this morning, what, only Dow Chemical and Bank of America talking about a longer term decline. Most of the analysts are just trying to figure out whether it's going to be a, a V or a U still. I mean, that, the discussion that Warren Buffett had indicates that it's, a, uh, if anything, a very elongated U or an L uh, and I know those things are shorthand, and a lot of people at home might say, what are you talking about? It's just He just gave you, what, how about this, no hope near term? Anybody agree with that? Yeah. I, well, that I sounds mean, pretty accurate to me. Yeah. 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 I, you know, Jim, the, you know, the administration, Larry Kudlow last week, of course, have been particularly positive on the pos- prospects of, of a quicker recovery. But I haven't heard that from many business leaders at all. I mean, uh, L's, U's, Nike swooshes. I, I, you know, I don't know how you describe it, but that's sort of what we're hearing more often uh, than anything else. I, nobody really is talking about a V anymore, are they? No, uh, but I, I would say that there's a huge chunk of the S&P that is really chugging along uh, because they're either taking share from uh, industry groups. There was a really critical moment where Buffett talked about how bad the, that the newspapers went away as an industry. Well, we, we know that that's great for Alphabet. We know that that's great for Facebook. Uh, we listen to the, all these drug companies and their quarters, and their quarters are extraordinary. And they've not even benefited from the idea that there are a lot of doctor's offices that have been closed that will now open. So there's plenty of stocks to choose from, but they certainly aren't in a large part of the S&P. And that's why I thought that question that Becky asked Warren about how much, whether he's still sticking by the S&P, Warren took it as being yes versus a, uh, a any fund that takes a percentage or whatever. But I, I think that just the S&P set up for a, 
it's more of an active index than people realize. And they had good companies. But in a pandemic, many of the companies that are in the S&P are just they could cease to exist. I think that's fair enough to say. So, Jim, when you when you assess sentiment this morning, um, is it is it about Buffett? Is it about uh, wider delineation between a reopening and economic normalization? Or is it about uh, the president's comments last night and uh, just inflaming uh, already existent fears of, uh, of U.S.-China Look, trade tensions? I, I was all for taking on the Chinese when our economy was really robust. And I think the Chinese, the, the, the people, the Communist Party's bad actors, not the Chinese. I mean, there's like, you know, billion people. They're not bad actors, and a lot of them love Americans. But I think it's really important to recognize that the president now seems to want to raise tariffs for the 30 million people unemployed. So there we are. That is 1932. I mean, I was able, I, I was happy that we raised tariffs when the economy was humming. And I do believe that the Chinese, again, I don't know what happened exactly in Wuhan. Nobody knows. But I, I don't want to take them on right now. And I listen to the president. He's like, acts as if the economy is just doing great and, or that it's going to come right back. But we got to be careful. There are historical paradigms that are very bad when your economy's doing poorly and you raise tariffs. And I think that the history books have to be open. That's not fake news. That's history. Right. Right. The fact is the Chinese economy is recovering, although it's not as clear the Chinese consumer is willing to spend. And we're sort of seeing that in some of the early numbers here in terms of regions and parts of the economy there. Well, now that it's much of it is reopened, um, but they are coming back more quickly, perhaps, than we will. And that's, you know, yet something else that we'll be looking back at in terms of wondering about, I think, Jim, uh, how quickly they were able to rebound versus how long it will take us to and the rest of the Western world to a certain extent. Although there seems to be no doubt that many companies are focused on their supply chains and trying to figure that out and perhaps changing it in a way that they even hadn't thought about during the right. during the height of the trade war with China. Well, it is interesting to see how many companies have these really awful supply chains that are rooted through China. And I'm glad we're speaking to Mark Benioff, CEO of Salesforce, because it, it, so many products start in China or were routed through China. And the president's saying, listen, get out of China. Uh, it's going to be hard. China really hooked us. Now, look, what are you going to do? Most of our companies are about making as much money as possible. And China was the cheapest producer. But when you think about it, you look, you think, OK, Apple, that, that stock was doing very well until the president really went ballistic about China. And Pompeo's comments this weekend basically just say it is a vast international conspiracy uh, uh, by by the Chinese against the rest of us. And I, I don't think it's a vast international conspiracy. I think the bats got too close in the web markets. But if he wants to build a case uh, to try to get it so people don't want to cooperate with the Chinese, again, that's going to cause a lot of problems with, with our companies. Look, I don't want to represent uh, earnings per share versus patriotism, but we have to recognize that what was said this weekend was chilling. Well, it's not just earnings per share, but, I mean, this Reuters report about the administration, uh, quote, turbocharging initiatives to bring back supply chains. I mean, it's not just earnings. It's uh, it's inflation, right? It's consumer prices. It's all the things uh, that made us want to get supply out of China in the first place 30 years ago. Well, there was a great question. The questions were really pretty good in the, in the Lincoln Memorial um, I don't know, live show. And and there was a moment where someone asked about pills. And uh, look, the pills, many of our pills, they're not made in India. They're made in China. And I think I wish sometimes the president were a little more uh, 
let's say, uh, targeted because that is a, a, a supply chain that they have that they have really, really got our hooks, their hooks in us. But I do think that over the weekend, I just said, OK, here it goes. This is escalating at a level that we didn't think was going to happen with 30 million people. Uh, and I know that the president hates to be criticized in any way, shape or form. But I do think that history says y- you have to wait till things are better. All right, Jim, we got a lot to get to, guys, uh, this morning. Got calls on Disney, uh, Tesla, Conoco. Obviously, a lot of earnings coming our way over the next five sessions and that jobs number on Friday as well. We'll take a break. Be back in a moment. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. It's been a busy weekend of commentary when it comes to a potential vaccine for the coronavirus. Uh, Oxford uh, scientists said they hope to get some signals on efficacy by June. And then the president talked about it on Fox last night. We think we're going to have a vaccine by the end of this year. And we're pushing very hard. You know, we're building supply lines now. We don't even have the final vaccine. Johnson & Johnson, if you look at Johnson & Johnson is doing it, we have many companies are, I think, close. Because I meet with the heads of them and I find it a very interesting subject because it's so important. But I think we'll have a vaccine by the end of the year. It does echo, Jim, what you've said. That is that the commentary from these giants wouldn't be so positive if they weren't, in fact, close. Right. Uh, look, J&J is spending a quarter of a billion dollars to build plants all over the world. I mean, they're, they're doing everything right. I feel uh, confident that they can conquer it. Uh, but it's the time frame. Uh, I mean, it, it's entirely possible that the president says we could have a vaccine, but is it, is it scalable? Uh, it would be unbelievable time. I mean, the longest, the shortest time that we've ever been able to do a vaccine from uh, from start to finish was mumps. And that took four years. Uh, I remember polio took very, very long. And what, what I feel like is that I think the drug companies are too optimistic, but I'm not a, I'm not a scientist. I just feel like there are so many that are trying. But that it's just, his, again, historically, it's never been able to be done. Now, maybe this is the time that they can just really speed things up because they have better technology. But I I think it's important to point out uh, that the president is raising expectations to a level that I hope are not too high. And I don't mean that to be critical. I'm just saying that the scientists themselves, and I spoke to the top people at J&J, they're very excited about getting something to us next year. But it's next year. And if you listen to the president, he he makes you feel like football season is going to be on. And that would be great. So is the NFL. They make it feel like football season. There is just an unreal aspect. Maybe we're all just, you know, enough people have gotten sick uh, that we should all just accept the fact that we can play on and be tough as Americans. But I don't think it's that kind of situation. I think that we all kind of have to wait uh, to go to the next level and that the idea of the vaccine being ready is very different from whether it's scalable. That's the big question. Right. And by the way, whether it's safe and effective, of course, becomes an even more important point as well, Jim. You know, again, the same. We rely on the experts. We rely on people who we believe at least are in the best position to understand these things. And 
Certainly, that would be the most optimistic forecast that I've heard, the idea that it could be as soon as the end of this year. Right. Uh, to your point, 12 to 18 months would be a miracle in and of itself, yes, it frankly, given the history of vaccines. Now, that said, we do have more people and more companies working on it with more advanced technology that's ever put against anything in the history of something like this. So that's all good. But, you know, right, sure. what I come back to is what you hear time and again in terms of trying to get people back to normal behavior is more this idea of a regimen of antivirals, remdesivir at one side of it, if you actually unfortunately end up in the hospital, but a a host of others perhaps that could be applied much earlier in the virus that would ameliorate significantly the effects of the virus itself and therefore just loosen everybody up in terms of their concern about it. You couple that, of course, with testing, which we're still not where we need to be, right. nowhere close enough, at least in terms of testing, uh, both the antibodies, both just being able to understand who's had it, who's got it, get immediate testing uh, and contact tracing. And maybe if we get there by the fall, that's the thing that really gets us opened up. Right. Uh, we're going to talk about that with, with Mark Benioff. Mark's kind of setting up an alternative state that sounds a lot like Taiwan or South Korea. We'll certainly talk about that. But uh I, I think that the, the going back to the vaccine for a second, uh, without the vaccine, I doubt that we can return to normal life. And I think uh, when will we know that it's effective? It's when everyone has had the vaccine. You have to think about something like smallpox, which just eradicated. Uh, there is there are a lot more questions about vaccine than there are antivirals. I did feel that you know, if you go back to what Dr. Fauci said about that you compare it to ACT and a lot of professionals, including my doctor, Dr. Lepuk, uh, who's the CBS doctor, he shed a tear when he heard that because it said, listen, that's how the that's how the AIDS epidemic the beginning of the yep. end was ACT, but that's going to be a long time. If Dr. Fauci said he's confident about a vaccine at the end of the year, then I'm confident. I mean, that's really who we all listen to. Uh, he's just yep. can't be owned. I think that's really important. No, it's, it's just and Buffett's praise for Fauci over the weekend was uh, remarkable, too. LaPook had a great piece on CBS about that AZT chapter in which he recalled Every one of his patients dying when he was a very young doctor, heavily influenced by Fauci. But whether it's a vaccine, guys, or uh, or a therapeutic, as David says, uh, regarding remdesivir, Daniel O'Day of Gilead did talk about uh, the emergency youth authorization and the degree to which they can start getting it to patients as early as this week. Take a listen. We intend to get that to patients uh, in the early part of this next week, uh, beginning to work with the government, which will determine which cities are most vulnerable and, and where the patients are that need this medicine. So we've donated the entire supply that we have within uh, our supply chain. And we did that because we acknowledge and recognize the human suffering, the human need here, and want to make sure that nothing gets in the way of this getting to patients. Well, we have to hope right, so that's that, a big deal. Uh, as- yes, very big. But, Carl, you know what? When Regeneron reports tomorrow, I want to hear that their monoclonal antibody could be a cocktail with what uh, remdesivir is. Remdesivir alone is not proven to be able to uh, it's just proven to be able to get you out of the hospital earlier. I'm waiting for the big test, which just says it's not a death sentence if you get on the ventilator. And we haven't heard that yet. All right, guys, we're going to get back to covering the markets, of course, which do appear poised to open lower, at least when trading begins about uh, nine minutes from now. Also got some key downgrades of the likes of Disney that we'll get to as well when Squawk in the Street comes right back. You seek the key. 
But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Salesforce founder, chairman and CEO Mark Benioff has been setting a tone when it comes to America's response to the coronavirus pandemic. We'll talk to him exclusively. Jim has that later on this hour. Don't go away. Welcome back to Squawk on the Street. Airlines going to be under pressure this morning after Warren Buffett, of course, of Berkshire Hathaway says, don't own them anymore. Jim, American Airlines is your mad dad. Yeah, I just want to kind of flesh out some of the things that Buffett talked about so you don't just say, oh, Warren Buffett says sell, sell. And he wasn't saying that. He's just saying it's a changed industry. Uh, and Barclays has a report out today which downgrades American uh, from hold to sell. They had been using a $20 price target. Now they've gone down to 7 But one of the things that I know, David, you follow these very closely, pension liabilities. Talking about gigantic pension liabilities, six billion at, at American. You know, I thought this industry had started to look up, and then I see that kind of liability, plus obviously what they're borrowing from the government, and I say, yeah, Warren Buffett's right. It's the balance sheet. It's not so much the fact that travel's really been crushed, but the balance sheets have fundamentally been changed. So you've got a double-edged sword. You've got uh, very little demand, and you have the balance sheets just ballooning. So, yeah, I mean, I could see this stock going to seven in a heartbeat. Yeah, I mean, you know, right now, as as we've said, Jim, so many companies are focused on preserving and maintaining their liquidity, making sure they have adequate access to capital when they need it to run their business. Eventually, some of them will get to and some already are getting to solvency. That's a different a different aspect of the crisis. Yeah, Bob Crandall, whom I've always loved, American, he talked about how the industry is not investable. He talked about how it should be utility. Uh, and I found myself thinking, American, these stocks had been so great at one point after Obama let them consolidate. Those days are over. And what you're really looking at is uh, questions by you ask people. Brian Sullivan asked a money measure, when would you fly? I mean, I debated uh, flying with my wife this weekend, of course, in a socially distant fashion. And we talked about how uh, Emirates is going to require a blood test or some sort of test before you get on the plane. And I like that idea, but it's also not that practical for all these different companies to do some sort of Abbott Labs test walking in. It may be just kind of unrealistic. 
Uh, on that note, Jim, as you're speaking about aviation broadly, I should mention uh, Dow Jones reporting that GE Aviation has expanded its job cuts yeah. now to cover 25 percent of its global workforce. They had been, I believe, at what was 10 percent. This is according to a memo that Dow Jones is citing. Uh, of course, Larry Culp joined us uh, last week and not sugarcoating either the outlook, at least when it came to aviation, such an important part of GE's business. No, I have the memo. Yeah, I mean, the article is right. I, I, again, it's chilling because GE is so challenged on so many fronts, exception of healthcare. Uh, you can't get these. The you can't right size these businesses. They're gigantic, and they were built for tremendous multi-year growth. So it, it's very hard to figure out what the right level table of employment you have to have. And I, the analysts uh, are, I think, they're not forgiving enough to a guy like Larry Culp who's doing his best. They're just kind of looking at it and saying, well, you know, you nothing yeah. cooking there. Yeah. We all had the, yeah, sorry, I had it in my inbox. I hadn't looked as well. Uh, don't There's worry that opening bell, Carl. covered it well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, at the big board, guys, it's Eric Millen. NYSE Facilities Supervisor at the NASDAQ, ringing the bell remotely. It's Youth, Inc., a network of nonprofits helping young people uh, in New York City. Other big, uh, well, we're going to get a lot of earnings this week, Jim, but Tyson was one of the big ones of the morning. Uh, Now some other headlines crossing regarding what we all want to know about, and that is uh, hog processing capacity in this country. They say it's been cut in half uh, as the uh, uh, virus closes slaughterhouses. You're seeing some infection rates, Jim, in some of these towns with slaughter or processing facilities that rival even large cities in states like Maryland. Upton Sinclair wrote a fabulous book called The Jungle, The Turn of the Century. He talked about how immigrants were uh, put in meat factories and really just treated as if, uh, well, let's just say, with, with absolutely no health care concerns at all. Uh, is that happening here at Tyson? I think Tyson has a lot to answer for here. Uh, this is the kind of thing that if we had an Upton Sinclair, I think he might go to these places. I don't know what these places are like, but th- these sound very much like what Upton Sinclair ex- exposed at the turn of the century. And someone should be ashamed here, I think. Yeah. And it's not uh, the it's, workers. It's largely about beef and pork. Yeah. yeah. Largely about beef and pork because of uh, the need for human hands to debone. It's not like chicken where it can be more mechanically done. Uh, they did miss. Revenue was light. Uh, they did secure an additional one and a half billion dollar loan facility, Jim, which I guess is sort of almost automatic uh, on some of these big right. prints this quarter. But uh, look, I, should that many people be getting sick? I mean, I know that the supply chain is really important, but I, I do believe that at a certain point, uh, Ethan Brown reports this week. Uh, Ethan Brown being, of course, beyond meat. And I'm wondering, and I know David's going to be somewhat skeptical because plant-based is kind of pie in the sky right now. But is that where we have to go? Because this Tyson thing, let's just call it what it is. It's an abomination. Who are these poor people who work at these plants? I bet you it's going to turn out it's the same people who worked uh, in terms of their uh, socioeconomic uh, level that happened in the 1900s when when Upton Sinclair wrote The Jungle. I think these people are poorly represented. I think that they're treated as if they are, uh, I don't know what kind of health care they're doing. Uh, But where's OSHA? Has anyone seen OSHA? I mean, wasn't OSHA supposed to help people? I I don't know. I mean, if we don't call them out, who will? Don't we have to call them out? It really is just kind of. Shattering. You want to go through a list of government agencies that are MIA? Where's the CDC? How about them? Remember them? Um, well, the SEC Jim, when it comes David, to Tyson, is coming back in the fall. 
Yeah. When it, when it comes to Tyson, one would have expected this actually would be a strong period for the company of in many course. ways. Demand for their products certainly is, is through the roof. And yet, as you point out, they have not been able to capitalize at all and, in fact, uh, having a lot of missteps. Well, my Chapel Trust owns it, and I'm ashamed that I even own it. I bought it for all the reasons you just said, which is that I thought that this would be their time. Now I just want some enterprising journalists to go outside their plants, find out what the heck is going on there. I think they have a lot to answer for. And maybe they'll say, well, listen, no, we don't. We're doing exactly what the government says. And that's usually the answer these days, right? Hey, the government. Well, I guess so. But we need this to we need to go back to the Upton Sinclair days where we looked at the into these situations. I'd like Tyson to come on. Maybe they've got a good maybe. Uh, look, look, you know, maybe it's like Carnival where there's a perfectly innocent uh, you know, excuse that. Well, they're like Arnold Donald. I spoke with them last week. I mean, look, we, we followed the rules. I mean, maybe Tyson's following the rules. Maybe it's the rules should be changed. And Tyson's a good actor. Hard for me to believe. But I'm Jimmy Chill. I can understand it. Well, you, you mentioned Carnival, Jim. I'm sure you see these crossing now. Uh, plans to phase in North American service August 1. Well, you get some bargains there. Uh, tough piece in GQ coming out soon. Uh, people want to cruise. They do. And maybe they cruise in a way that is socially distant and cruises are a bargain. I'm not going to rail against anyone who wants to take a cruise, provided that they are doing the same things that they do on airlines or whatever. I mean, I I, I just think, look, the government hasn't said no. And who am I to say you can't cruise? I don't know. I just don't feel like, you know, people want to cruise. When you speak to Carnival, the business is pretty next year's business looks good. Yeah. It, Speaking good. of uh, travel wrong and leisure and and things that people plan for and are around life events, of course, going to a Disney park, guys, is certainly oh. one of them. Thankfully, we've we've done plenty of it, thankfully, with our kids. Uh, but uh, this morning, uh, certainly a lot of talk around this Moffat Nathanson downgrade of Disney, citing what they're calling a long and winding road. They have the stock now in neutral. You know, no real surprises here in a sense. We've talked about the challenges Disney, of course, will face in terms of the theme parks, not to mention as well the ESPN network, the lack of sports, lack of advertising, the studio being uh, shut down right now in terms of production. Disney Plus obviously been the bright spot, certainly. But the numbers that they put out there at Moffat Nathanson, uh, Jim, are pretty stunning when you look at total revenues, what they're expecting now. And again, they're low on the street now, but they just think things are going to take longer to come back. I guess that's the easiest way to sort of discuss it. Uh, $26.2 billion in fiscal year 19 revenues. This year is seen at $17.6 billion, $17.5 in fiscal year 21, and $21.3 in fiscal year 22. I mean, that just gives you a sense there in terms of the reductions. Now, fiscal year 22 is going to be a huge increase over 21. So that'll be your inflection year. But you might want to wait if you see that coming to buy the stuff. I mean, I read this and it's Michael Nathanson always does high quality work and it starts off by saying, listen, we've recommended for a decade. And the piece is uh, it is kind of, again, what Warren Buffett said. The airlines are really well managed. Uh, it's just that they can't in this environment do well. And talk about how I mentioned Trump when I read this piece, David, I said, let me think. Is there a way to make it so you could open those theme parks? And Becky Quick talked about this morning, too. And I can't come up with a way. 
I mean, you have to disinfect constantly, and lines are bad. And the great thing about Disney is, is that they handle the crowds well. Well, but you can't really have crowds. Uh, I, I don't know. Right. I thought this was a no way out, a very good downgrade, very well thought out. And I don't have answers for if I'm if I am, uh, you know, if, if I'm Iger, I say, well. I don't see anything wrong with this report. I just like to be a little more optimistic with the same set of facts. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, obviously they have furloughed most of their employees at the parks. So you could bring back the employees commensurate with the number of, of visitors to a certain extent. But then again, people expect, you know, the parks uh, to be pristine, which they always are in terms of cleanliness and so many other things. So it does it does raise a lot of questions about staffing and costs versus how many people will actually be walking through the front gates and when that will really return. And then you get to, to the sports, to the networks as well, media networks. Yeah. And listen, we've been talking about that for our own parent company as well, which the Wall Street Journal reported there may be some layoffs uh, at uh, at NBC Universal and the likes. But sports is obviously a key component of of Disney in terms of ESPN. We know what's going on there. No sports are being played. Uh, the question becomes, when are the cable distributors going to start to say, hey, why are we paying for this? Why are our customers paying for this? And I've been hearing maybe not until July when we really get some clarity. You know, maybe come July, we know whether we're going to have a football season. We know whether we're having a baseball season. We know whether they're going to be NBA playoffs or when they'll be or not college football. And so that mm-hmm. may be the key point at which you really start to see not just the disconnects, but the distributors saying, come on, force majeure, let's make, you know, you got to make good on this, which will be another hit for, for, those, uh, for those companies that have significant sports networks. Uh, aren't Obviously, you surprised that hasn't uh, happened there? I mean, yeah, baseball's well. on. The A NFL bit. is really saying. I've been he- Go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, I've been hearing that, you know, that it's a conversation and yet I haven't really I've been talking to the senior managers at some of the large media companies. And it doesn't appear that it's come to the point yet where any where the distributors are saying we're not going to pay you. Uh, It it does seem as though they're pushing it a little bit, Jim. Um, But you're right. I would have expected it to a certain extent, given they're expensive, as we all know, not to mention the RSNs. Uh, remember those now owned by Sinclair in a separate vehicle, but those are expensive too. all of this and none of it obviously having any real live sports. Then you get back to the teams and whether they're going to be liable. And then the team owners who are also in a position now where they've always been taking money out of their teams. Now they've got to start to put money in. Essentially, it's uh, it's a negative carry for the partners of all these teams. There's a lot going on in the sports world that's that's certainly worthy of paying some attention to. I wish there were more uh, publicly companies that people were. This Davidson piece addresses it head on uh, and, and tries to put some numbers on it. But, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, Carl, uh, we know that sports programming is the programming that keeps the networks uh, getting new people in and advertising. We, we haven't even gone about going into the idea that that people don't know how to advertise anymore. If there's no sports, because sports is what you launch things yep. with. Yeah, I was looking at some of the protocols the Koreans are putting into place for their baseball season. I mean, if there's one positive test reportedly, uh, the league shuts down for three weeks. So uh, hypersensitivity to any individual player uh, falling ill. That said, guys, um, in the next six weeks, we're going to get NASCAR. We're going to get wrestling to some degree, we think, golf in June. Right. So 
uh, sports in which uh, social distancing is somewhat possible are going to start to get some airplay. Well, I know that we're all crazed, uh, crazed for live, live sports, as we saw from the, the draft. Uh, but football's the litmus test for me uh, because there's just so much on the line for football and because it's so expensive. Uh, and we need to know the NFL is just deeply committed to a regular season. When a lot of people keep thinking it's going to be fanless and it's not going to start until on time, uh, the NFL gives you kind of like a, a perspective of uh, like the president. You know, don't worry. Don't worry about it. I right. don't know. Right, right. Um. Jim, we're down 350. Uh, only Microsoft in the green on the Dow, just barely. Let's get to Rick Santelli on this Monday. Hi, Rick. Good morning, Carl. You know, as equities start to get a bit tired, but they had a nice big move from the lows. Obviously, April was a good month, but May's different. However, Treasuries, kind of the same still. We're up a little bit in the long end, basically down a bit in yield in the short end. That's been the way lately. And if you look at a two-week chart of 10-year note yields, Here's what I really want you to pay attention to. When markets start to give you tells of where they like to trade, where they're comfortable, you make note, and you really make note when they move out of their comfort range. As this two-week chart, 60 to 62 basis points pretty much trades every single session. So we want to watch those high-frequency areas as we move away from them or remain inside them. And if you look at the HYG, the high-yield ETF, that the Federal Reserve said, hey, I think we may buy that someday. Well, everybody flocked there. They haven't really gone there yet. There's a lot of debate as to whether they're going to go there at all, meaning the central bank, the Fed. But look at the right side of that. Now, that's obviously a February 1st chart. We had a lot of volatility February, March. But look at how sideways it is on the right-hand side. It's also been comfortable. And we know that we'd rather have that going higher rather than lower. That most likely would be a risk on it. It'll be good for stocks. And if we look at what's going on with the dollar index, same notion. Now, we know anything near 100 is powerful over the macro view. But lately, you know, as it dips towards 99, we think, ah, it's coming off a bit. It was almost up to 103 not that many weeks ago. But also from a February 1st perspective, 99 to 100 is their comfort zone. And it may remain there. You want to be on guard for the euro strength, which could push down the dollar index. It's 57% of the dollar index. And there's many notions that a shared debt is got to be coming to the European Union and ECB and Christine Lagarde have to work towards that end. And if that is ever going to come, it will be very bullish for the euro, very bearish for the dollar, at least in the immediate short term once it becomes implemented. And finally, our last chart, this is Boone's. Now, you remember two weeks of 10 years was pretty much sideways. Not so with the Boone deals. Now, obviously, they were closed on May Day, Friday, but there is a deterioration there. They're moving lower there. And uh, much of that is the ECB needs that shared debt because they really can't implement the type of programs that the Federal Reserve has implemented here. Carl, Jim, David, back to you. All right, Rick. Thanks a lot. Uh, Rick Santelli. Uh, Jim, we're being led lower by travel names uh, off of the comments from Buffett over the weekend. But for all the, um, I guess, net negative things Buffett said, he did leave us on Saturday with some of that traditional uh, Buffett optimism when it came to America at large. Here's what he said. And we found that uh, that uh, nothing can stop America when you get right down to it. And uh, it's been true all along. It may have been interrupted uh, with the scariest of scenarios when you had 
a war with one group of states fighting another group of states. And it may have been tested again in the Great Depression, and it may be tested now to some degree. But in the end, the answer is never bet against America. All right, Jim, how do we, how do we put that to work meaningfully? Well, well I, when you start comparing things uh, to the war between the states or the Civil War, uh, what that says is, you know, buckle your seatbelt. I mean, you know, we 500,000 people, some say 600,000 people were killed. I know we addressed that, and, you know, that's not an investable situation. You know, we, the union won the war. Um, but the idea that that was invoked sent chills uh, you know, down my back. And the Depression, yes. I mean, the fact that the Depression is less of a, well, the comparisons between the two. Well, Depression is not as bad as the Civil War. I mean, you know, the Republic both times was in question. The Republic clearly uh, in question during the Civil War because it was split. But the Republic also, if you look at the politics of the time, uh, the center might not hold. It did hold. I, when he compares it to those two, uh, what I say to myself is, no wonder he didn't buy when the S&P uh, cratered on March 23rd. I mean, he, he didn't buy. Uh, he, he sold. So let's say your money where your mouth is. I mean, he obviously didn't think that this was the level. Uh, and if it's a Civil War comparison, obviously, you know, you're talking about Dow down substantially. So. Look, there, there wasn't anything, you know, America will win. Yeah, well, I mean, like, you know, in 1863, uh, we had a real solid look that Lincoln was going to prevail. I don't know. I mean, that's why there's like this big monument. Although it turned out to be a beautiful stage. Uh, <laughs> I, I you know, remember, go back and read some of those speeches. I mean, the, the Republic was in peril. I mean, I hope it's not like that. I mean, we started 1864. Yeah, some of those yeah, some of those speeches are, are, are pretty well known. Yeah. Uh, on that note, Jim, let's get to Bob Pisani and get a market uh, look this morning. Hey, Bob. Hello, everybody. Uh, happy Monday. 2800 on the S&P. Remember, we were at 2939 just a short while ago. So we're 5% uh, off of the recent highs. I watched Mr. Buffett's comments. I was surprised he didn't have any bargains out there. He wasn't doing a lot of buying at all. Uh, and you can take a look at the sectors. You see his impact on the airline sector as he got out of airlines, essentially. Jets is the uh, big ETF there. That's down notably. Uh, energy's weak. Banks, retail. All these had great rallies uh, in the last... the. the Early part of last week, they're the ones declining now. Utilities was the only thing in the green at the open, and even that's in the red right now. Now the hard part starts. That's what I call it for May. It's traditionally a weak month, and no, the rules of investing have not been completely repealed, so it does matter. Uh, remember what's driving the rally. We're only 17% off of the highs right now. The risks and things that are out there, we had massive fiscal monetary stimulus, hopes for a treatment of a vaccine, and reopening hopes here. And those are sort of the risks that we're seeing right now. I think the risks are very clear. We talked about them on Friday, that the reopening would go a little bit slower than expected. Uh, we saw talk over the weekend of long-term closures now of, uh, in California. Maybe 50% of the restaurants might not be able to uh, stay in business, even if there is a reopening. So the risks that are out there, if you put up the next full screen, are quite real. Uh, further downward earnings revisions, I think, are very real at this point. Uh, the market's comfortable with a 25% decline in earnings for 2020, but not 35%, not 40%. We don't know if that's going to happen or not, and that's a very real risk right now. And of course, 
there's some issue about whether or not the, the fiscal stimulus is going to keep coming there. We've heard discussions about big cracks there over how much aid there should be to states and local governments. Finally, also China tariffs. It's tough to get your handle around stock valuations and what we should be doing in May because of the lack of guidance. So look at today. Let's just update where we are on the guidance situation. 114 companies have suspended guidance. That's 25% of the S&P 500 has got no long-term guidance, and we're only 60% through earnings season. That number is going to grow. 79 have suspended their buybacks, and 31 have suspended or cut their dividends. That's mostly in the consumer discretionary and ed- energy space. This makes it really tough to figure out the right valuations and why we're still getting four or 500-point moves in the Dow on a daily basis. And of course, we still get companies withdrawing guidance. Remember, it's happening as the, I update this list every single day. Today, Air Canada, GATX, one of the big transport companies, national retail, that's one of the big REITs. They also withdrew the guidance. Going to be tough figuring out the valuations in May. Carl, back to you. That's for sure. Uh, thanks, Bob. Uh, we're going to take a break here. Uh, in just a couple of moments, uh, Kramer with Benioff on Reopening America. Don't go anywhere. Can 2800 hold here as uh, the S&P heat map shows a sea of red? Travel-related names getting hurt after Buffett's comments this weekend. And in just a couple of minutes, Benioff with Jim. Don't go away. Let's get to Jim and stop trading. Goldman wants you to buy the oils again. Uh, And the way they're doing it is to say that quality is on sale, and they're highlighting ConocoPhillips, uh, adding to the conviction buy list. They do downgrade Chevron, but only because of how great the performance is from conviction buy to buy. You know, the Goldman stuff is very interesting because you have to try to figure out, have the oils gotten down enough? Is it the bottom or not? And I know that, that Mike Worth, who's the terrific CEO at Chevron, said it's the bottom. Uh, I'm much more um, circumspect just because I, I want to see demand and, and I'd like to see supply ratchet back. Now, Rusty Brazil from RBN does talk about how there's finally going to be about a million barrels coming off per day in the U.S. But we're still not seeing the decline because it's so hard to shut down a well. There's so many different factors involved, including transportation agreements to be able to ship. But if you like uh, oils, you got ConocoPhillips. Goldman loves it. Yeah, uh, Jim, uh, Gas Buddy said demand on Saturday was up one six, right. taking you back to mid-March as uh, people are obviously driving around. It's a little bit warmer. Uh, I mean, do you not believe, at least on distillates, we're seeing a bottom in, in the month of, uh, of May? I do. Uh, and I think that that's why I, I mentioned it. I feel that uh, I, I don't really like the group at all, but I do think that if you did like the group, it's, it's had a very big move off the bottom, really big. Uh, so now you've got to be very selective uh, because the, the market, the oil market really anticipated this. Remember, the oil stock started going up the same day that oil went to minus 37. Uh, and I do believe that minus 37 was a complete anom- anomaly. And now I feel that, you know what, uh, this Goldman wants you to buy them. But you've got to be very careful because the bounce has been just incredible. And I don't get carried away. Yeah. The other thing we didn't get to, Jim, uh, were Elon Musk's tweets from Friday. And then Adam Jonas today, uh, taking it from 440 to 680. Uh, maybe X Ferrari, the most uh, profitable, fastest growing OEM that they cover. Well, but I was thinking about it. I know that, that there are some people who show you that after uh, it was kind of like irrational exuberance in, Green, in Greenspan, where, the, where Greenspan did not necessarily do the right call. Uh, I go over what uh, I think that Elon is being very uh, 
Uh, let's say, uh, critical of, of what, where they are. I mean, I think he wants to have Germany fly. And he want, remember, he was very upset about what happened in California. And so, therefore, he would think that if, if the fascists, so to speak, as he said, don't change the way, then maybe Tesla is expensive. I come back and think, wow, can you imagine you have a football season and Ford and GM, they spend all that money on advertising, and Tesla doesn't need to advertise because of word of mouth. That has always been, to me, the strongest reason why I like Tesla so much. I really like it. Sorry, Elon. I think that you're going to get your way in California eventually. Yeah, well, I mean, his tweets were also interesting for any number of other reasons, including his decision to potentially sell what almost all his worldly possessions. Although he wants to be careful with Gene Wilder's house. That's what he owns. Right. You got to make sure you sell it to the right person. Fascinating. uh, I love to read those tweets. Wasn't Gene Wilder great? Yeah. I thought Frankenstein was was this. Yeah, yes, Young Frankenstein was a great yeah. one. Blazing Saddles. Oh, my God. Uh, Willy Wonka. But yeah. look, I, I think um, t- guys, we, we mentioned down to a hold, right? We went from buy to hold. <laughs> we mentioned, we've talked a lot this morning about aviation for obvious reasons, given Buffett's comments and, and everything else. We also mentioned briefly GE uh, and that memo that was sent out by Vice Chair and President and CEO of GE Aviation, David Joyce. It was issued earlier today telling the employees that they're developing a plan for permanent reductions to global, their global employee base that they anticipate will bring total reductions this year to as much as 25%. Um, and we spoke last week, of course, with Larry Culp about the situation in aviation. Uh, he pulled no punches in describing how difficult things are. The first and most important step we take as a company in the face of this pandemic to make sure we come out on the other side a better, stronger GE is to embrace the reality of what we're seeing. And clearly the pressure is going to be no greater in the short term and maybe over the medium term for us than it will be in aviation, given the airlines are trying to conserve cash, uh, parking planes, bringing flight schedules down, postponing, in some cases, uh, orders of of new planes. That, That hits us. Yeah, I mean, no shortage of challenges there, of course, for companies that were, you know, again, in GE, Jim, we spent a lot of time talking about the remaking of the company that had been underway under the leadership of Mr. Culp and the fact that they were starting to see some momentum. And then, well, like so many other companies, completely out of their hands, the things that they're now dealing with. But they do have 47 billion. Remember, they did raise the cash. They're going to be using a lot of cash. Health care is good. But no, it it, it is like Buffett said, this is this event that people didn't insure against. And uh, look, I think that Larry's going to come out okay, Larry Colt, but I do think that this industry is not uh, a 2021 story. It just can't be. Too soon. Yeah. Uh, well, watch that one. That's a big story today for us, guys. Uh, it is 10 o'clock. Uh, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with uh, Jim Cramer, David Faber, Sarah Eisen, coming to you live from various locations. As we start the week uh, in the red, it's going to be a busy one. In fact, we're getting factory orders right now. Let's get to Rick Santelli. Rick? Yes, Carl, we're going to have a date with history on both these numbers. On our March read on factory orders, down 10.3. This series started in March of 56, the lowest Ever month-over-month negative change was August of 2014 at minus 9.7, so we beat that, minus 10.3. And if we take X transportation, that's down 3.7. Uh, durable goods orders. Now, they started in February of 92 in their current rendition. 
The smallest number, uh, Megan, uh, month over month, was minus 14.4. We beat that. Minus 14.7, another date with history. And, of course, if we look at the internals, X transportation down four-tenths. And if we look at capital orders, uh, non-defense X aircraft, a proxy for capital spending, it's down one-tenth. Nothing to brag about, my guess is that's going to get much worse as time goes by. That These are March finals, which also means that minus 14.4 gets removed. That was a mid-March. That gets replaced with minus 14.7. And if we look at orders... Uh, uh, switch to shipments. Shipments are down two tenths. Uh, my guess is that also is going to fare much worse over time. So both these uh, number series are the biggest month over month negative change we've ever seen. Should be no surprise. The response in the marketplace, very counterintuitive. Ten-year note yields go up a basis point. So obviously markets had these data points factored in. Jim. Back to you. Oh, thank you so much, Rick. And thank you for all the stuff you do that explains this stuff to us. All right, joining me now, Salesforce founder, chairman, and CEO Mark Benioff with an incredibly important initiative. I think that this is one called work.com that is, to me, what I, I, if I were running a company, I would be sorely in need of because it puts it all in perspective for your company. Mark, welcome and tell us about work.com. Well, Jim, thank you so much. I'm uh, delighted to be with you uh, this morning. Uh, you know, Jim, we've had so many conversations now, and uh, our uh, you know hearts remain with everyone who's gone through this uh, you know traumatic uh, situation with the virus over the last uh, several months. And you know, as, as this has unfolded for us, what we've seen is three phases. We've talked about that actually on your show. This first crisis phase that we're in—it's really this 90-day phase when we've gotten everyone in in our homes and we've uh, you know taken shelter. Uh, that that's when Salesforce actually has now purchased over 60 million pieces of PPE and distributed it to several hundred hospitals all over the world to help, you know, bolster our defenses against the virus. But Jim, during this crisis, we've learned something very important, which is that as we move into phase two, um, the virus is going to still be with us, but we're going to reopen. So how are we going to reopen safely? That is what's been on our mind at Salesforce. And so that's why today we're introducing a new product line to help our customers reopen safely called work.com. And we think this is going to be a critical part of allowing our customers to get back to work and do it safely. Now, when I look at at work.com, one of the things that strikes me is, besides the command center, they're like, it's a process. There's a procedure. We've lacked company after company is very anecdotal about what to do. And one of the things that I think is really incredible is that if you were able to get public health involved with, say, what Google, Apple are doing, contact tracing, which is available, then we would actually know as employees who's sick. Or without without any privacy invaded, you were the first person in your emergency response management section that really makes me feel like, you know what, we could be Taiwan. I mean, Taiwan being the single greatest country on earth when it comes to this. You have a little Taiwan going among the people who are in work.com. Do I read that correctly? Well, Jim, when we go back to work, there's things that we're going to have to do differently. And those things include bringing PPE not just to our hospitals, but into our workspace. That's that's why we're talking about having masks in the workplace, for example, things that we can do to reduce the spread of the virus in the workplace. Because when we get back to work, the virus is going to still be there, but we want to mitigate our relationship with the virus. So PPE will be important. And of course, we're going to have to maintain social distancing. That will also be extremely important in the workplace. That's going to be a critical part of getting back to work. And of course, we'll be checking fevers 
you know, before employees show up at the, at the office. But we will also use information technology in a smart way to mitigate the virus. That is, we can do things to help people be safer at the office. An example is very much what you just said. We knew that the person that you were sitting next to yesterday called in today and they were tested positive for the virus. And when we talked to them, they said they met you, this employee, that employee, the other employee, and we're calling all of those employees back. That's contact tracing. The idea that we can talk to and inform and manage the relationships that we have with those who may have been affected. And of course, like you said, those employees will have to be self-quarantined. I think that I uh, wanted to try to get the accessibility here of a key part of your plan, new resources. You've got Dr. Uh, David Agus, who might know is just sensational. Uh, Dr. Scott uh, Gottlieb is on our network all the time. And then Dr. Larry Brilliant, I know it always sounds silly, but who's truly brilliant. Uh, now, how will you, will you be able to access those if you're a good client of Salesforce, or is that going to be videos and, and really just uh, no one-on-one? That's already live today, Jim, on work.com. We are capturing the best advice, the best words from those doctors, like you mentioned, David Agus, Larry Brilliant, Scott Gottlieb, but also tremendous business organizations like the Business Roundtable and others who are telling and informing businesses, here's a safe way that you can reopen. You know, those important uh, elements of our community are critical, and we want to bring everyone together in a place where they can talk and share this critical information as well. So they will have a community, they will have apps, and they will have advisors. And we hope that the combination of these three things in work.com will give the ability for our customers to reopen safely. All right. One last question. I know you're on a a council that the president set up. He mentioned your name. Uh, Will you share this with the president? Because a lot of these things could be done by our country, and they would be very valuable if everyone plays. Well, I think it's uh, this is something that every uh, company is going to need who wants to be able to have a great relationship with their employees and their customers. You know, we know that we're going to have to create these kind of new tools, next generation capabilities, but this is the beginning of a a journey. There's no finish line, Jim, when it comes with battling down this virus. And I think that work.com is kind of going to be a very critical part of entering phase two, which is what I see happening over the next uh, couple of months. All right. Thank you so much, Mark, and good to get those at 1 a.m. this morning. I'm always happy to get woken up by you. It's Thank you, Chip. Very good. If it's valuable, and it always is. Mark Benioff is the uh, CEO of Salesforce. Uh, Carl, back to you. Great to see you. Uh, Jim, uh, that was good stuff. And I guess we're going to see more on Mad tonight, right? <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to talk to Mark. I guess I got some sleep after Mark woke me. I got, a, I got 45 minutes. It was fantastic. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.